going to All right, there we go. How y'all doing? Doing well? Let's um uh let's open up with prayer and I'll kind of give everybody an update as to where we are and uh, we'll get we'll jump in into uh our deal tonight. Father, we bless you. We lift this evening before you and pray that you lead us and guide us in our in our conversation tonight and what we're about. Pray that you would move in our hearts. Pray that we would hear your voice. We would seek to discern your voice. You would move in our hearts to want to be obedient to your voice. We lift this evening before you. Pray that you help us in what we're about. Pray that you would give me your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right. So uh, I very much appreciate everybody's prayers uh, for last week. Um, just uh, I said I'd give a little bit of an update um, for those. Um, most I think everybody's aware. My sister has been in the hospital. She's still in the hospital. This would be day 31 since the surgery. Um, she had a very, very it, the, the 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 surgery she had was very complex to begin with. And uh, the doctor said this was the most complex of this complex surgery they'd ever done. Um, and the healing is happening like in micro steps. Um, and so, once again, very much appreciate everyone's prayers. Uh, you know, we're wanting to see her get home as soon as possible and, and her body continue to heal up. Um, so, uh, it was a... I was really, really glad to be home, to be able to be there, to be, you know, to be visit, help out whatever, whatever ways we can, spend time with my parents. And also, my niece got married, did the, did the wedding for my niece. It was, uh, I thought it was a fantastic time, uh, great to see family that was in this old historic mansion. The wedding was in this old historic mansion. And um, uh, we had a little, this ballroom in the mansion, and it was, uh, it was it was an intimate ballroom with all of us in there, <laughs> but um, uh, it was it was fun being in that in that place. It was a great venue, and they're uh, they're off in Japan right now. They they took off and flew to Japan. My niece and new nephew. So when uh, we got back, um, first thing I think we landed like eight fifteen Monday morning and just got off the plane, got in the car, went to work, and so yeah. If I look just a little bit tired, it's only because I'm just a little bit tired. That's it. That's the only <laughs> only reason. All right. So we've been we were talking about before I left what we're going to study next. Um, you know, we talked about the book of Daniel. I still want to do the book of Daniel. We're going to get ready to do it. Uh, I had, I understand that um, um, Pastor Cherry talked a little bit about the subject. Uh, we're we're talking about discerning your call. Um, what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to ask everyone in the, uh, to, uh, did we figure it out? Oh, we got it? Okay, hold on one second.
hear me? You all hear me? Sweet. It's helpful if I move it down here where I'm not trying to talk out of my eye. Save the battery on that one. Okay, so um, discerning your call. Um, We're going to go through together, and it should take us probably four weeks, maybe five, a lot of five weeks, um, to go through uh, a calling lab together. Um, Tonight, I'm just going to talk in general about calling, Um, you know, three aspects of calling tonight, and then next week we will officially start it because I want to have a sign-up time for this Sunday for people who want to sign up because once we start, um, there's a website for everybody to go to um, and uh, to follow along. There's some tests that we'll need to take um, that help you understand how God's wired you. So if you're going to discern your call, you need to understand how you are wired, and uh, and 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 there's there's actually a book you can get to read along with it, which I highly recommend. It's ten bucks to buy the uh, online version. You can buy the paper version if you're wondering. Buy the online and print it out. Uh, highly recommend doing that. Um, so uh, and it's 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 called Calling Lab. It's called Calling Lab, and you can get it uh, if you just if you Google Calling Lab on uh, UG. Um, or, or Tampa Underground, Tampa Underground Calling Lab. That's the site, um, and you'll be able to follow along, and all the tests are there. There's some alternate tests I'm going to suggest. We'll, we'll, we'll have a lot of fun. We'll have some conversation and discussion about it. Uh, but uh, but I, 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 I kind of debated whether starting with the first lesson of that tonight, I'm all ready with it, ready to go, or just kind of revisiting the concept of calling that we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, and uh, I, I thought it probably be better to revisit, and then when we officially start next week, with, with giving everybody a chance to get the materials and not just starting cold. So the, the website you want to go to, just if you Google Tampa Underground Calling Lab, Tampa Underground Calling Lab, and you go there, um, there'll there'll be a place where you can say see the book or uh, uh, or and it's right there when you go on it. Everything we're going to do step by step. I have it broken out. There'll be videos we watch together. Um, they're short, you know, like they're usually like two, three minutes, and then we'll have a chance to talk about them. And then, but what's really important, the reason why I'm bringing this up, you can start doing some of the tests now. You can start going ahead. Why? Because we're going to actually talk about what we discovered. Look, here's the point. Discerning your calling isn't about sitting in a class and listening. No. Discerning your calling is about you seeking God and hearing from Him. And so I can facilitate that, but I can't do it for you. So I'm gonna, we're going to talk a little bit why it's important tonight and the fact that each one of us has a calling. Um, and, but when we go through the class together, the, the objective is for you to be seeking God as we're going through it, to be able to hear and to know. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? All right, so um, I, I did this message a couple of Sundays ago, about three Sundays ago, um, and we're going to revisit it, and we're going to kind of go into it a little bit, be able to go into it a little bit more in depth tonight. Uh, the, the, um, uh, the question is, you know, and this is this, this how I opposed it then, you know, we, we just came out of the Easter season. We came out of Passover season. We understand 
Jesus has died on behalf of our sins. He has forgiven us. He buried sin in the ground. He rose from the dead. Okay, that gives us this opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God. That gives us an opportunity to be a participant in the kingdom of God. What do we do once that happens? Is that just about now I'm saved, here I am, I go to church, and I kind of hang on until Jesus comes back, or I get to heaven, or whatever? Or is there actual um, uh, a living this out? Now, and what I mean by living this out, I mean more than just, well, I'm, I, you know, I don't, you know I'm, a, I'm a decent guy now, I don't do this, I don't do that. Or is there something real about being a participant in the kingdom of God? Is there a calling that we have as a participant in the calling uh, in the kingdom of God? So, um, N.T. Wright put it this way in the book, uh, The Day the Revolution Began. He said this. He said, the veil was torn, and there was a new way into the presence of God. And that new way into the presence of God is the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the writer of Hebrews. And when N.T. Wright says, the day that happened is the day it began, a revolution began in which there is a new way to be human. There is a new way to be human. So here's what's uh, one of the things that's been striking me about this and in, 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 um, hitting me so deep about this and why this is a passion. Um, in the West, in our culture, where we live, the church has become uh, just like culture. Do any studies that you want to study, and the way people live in culture is exactly the same way people live in the church. There's no difference. There's no distinction. That means that we, as the members of the kingdom of God, are not having an effect on our culture. In fact, just the other way around, we're allowing the culture to have an effect on us. But if I look back, how, did we, how is it that the church got to this place to begin with? How did we get here? We got here because believers lived out the kingdom of God in this world and changed this world. And those believers were no different than, than the person sitting next to you, which means you're sitting next to someone, so you're someone sitting next to someone. Even you, Jenny, there's people sitting over here right next to you. They're no different than you and me. No different than us. All right, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Maybe. There we go. What do we do now? This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. This is radical. When this occurred, when when he wrote this, um, uh, it was absolutely radical. There is a new way to enter into the very holy presence of God. And that new way isn't a physical curtain. It's a physical body. It's the body of Jesus. We actually can enter into the presence of God on earth. See, the presence of God on earth up until this point was a temple. The temple was the center. Um, uh But now, the presence of God on earth, catch this, the presence of God on earth is no longer a temple. How many remember when Jesus was sat at the well with a Samaritan woman? Who remembers that story? Um, He's he's talking to the the Samaritan woman at the well. This is what he says. But the hour is coming and is here now. Oops, I went past it down here, sorry. But the hour is coming 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Her, her, her big theological question is, where is the right place to worship God? Do we worship him here on Mount Gerizim? I can find that in the Bible. You worship him down in Jerusalem. Which, where is the right place to worship God? And Jesus says the right place to worship God is, is coming. It's, it's, the time is already here now and will be when it's not going to be about the place. It's going to be about doing it in spirit and truth. In other words, that place is going to change. Through the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ... We become a living hope for others. We become that temple. I I, I want us to get this. You are a living hope. Here it is in Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. What is that living hope? There is an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. It is kept in heaven for you. Who are you? You or who are the one by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. By sending the Holy Spirit, we no longer go to the temple. We actually become to the te- become the temple. Here's Peter talking about it. Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see, if, if we understood that, we wouldn't be living the way the world is because the world lives like they're their own. But when we understand that we have actually entered into the presence of God through the body of Jesus Christ, we have become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're no longer our own. As a result of this, there are five different times in the gospel, five different times. It's in all four gospels, and it's also in the book of Acts, that we are given the Great Commission. There's five different times. We're going to look at each one. Here's the first one. This is in Matthew 19. It says what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Yo, Yo, I am with you even to the ends of the earth. We know this one, but what's it saying? We're to go to all nations and make disciples. Mark uh, 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. In Luke 24, that, that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And he says, what? You are witnesses of these things. Uh, John 20, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. How many of us actually understand we are sent by Jesus? We are sent by him. Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, to the end of the earth. We are called 
to be witnesses to Christ to the end of the earth. That's why we just spent, you know, how many weeks did we just spend talking about the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Oh, 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 Jesus is telling the disciples that power is that we might be witnesses to the fact that Jesus is Lord. The very first sermon Peter gives in, in the book of Acts, the very first sermon, right? They're sitting there, they're waiting, it's the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and what does he say? He says, the fact that you see the Holy Spirit on us, why? Why are you seeing that? It's demonstrating that Jesus is Lord. This proves Jesus is Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit coming in our lives. So... I want us to understand something. Notice, what do we call this? Anybody know I just said this? Five times we were given the what? The great what? Commission. Notice it's not called the great suggestion. Notice it's not called the great idea. Wouldn't it be nice if? All right. So what do we do now? We need to live out our calling. Jesus died from our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus gave us the Great Commission. In the same way he died for our sins, in the same way he rose from the dead, he also gave us a Great Commission. Are we willing to accept him dying for our sins? Are we willing to accept that he rose that we might have new life? Why aren't we willing to accept we have a Great Commission? It's not, not, I had a pastor friend one time. Long time ago, it was one of my early pastors. There was he was going through the scriptures, and there was one particular verse people didn't like. He says, "Right now, open your Bible to this this page, and we go to it." And he read the verse. He said, "Here, read that verse." He said, "Now, what I want you to do, everybody, take your Bibles and grab that page right here between these two fingers. Grab it. You got it right there. Grab it. Okay, everybody, have it. Yes. Now, rip it out of your Bibles because you don't like it. That's, we don't. That's we don't like that page. Rip it out. You don't need that page, right?" And right away, everybody's like, oh, okay, I hear what you're saying. All right. Catch this. How do we live out our calling? This is, this is what Jesus said. Check this out. And we know that for those who love God, uh, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We love the first half of that. All things work together for those who are the good, right? All, you know, even if there's something bad in your life, God can turn around and work it for good. For who? Those who are called. Hmm. Let's keep going. Romans. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. What does that mean? You can't give it back. The calling that God has on your life is not a choice. 1 Corinthians 1, for consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were noble birth. What is he saying here? He doesn't care what gifts and talents you think you need. He's not looking for the most talented of the world. He's looking for those who will be obedient. He's looking for those who just have a heart to say, Lord, I just want to live my life for you in this world. I want my life to count for you. Help me to hear your voice that I can live what it is you have done in me in front of others. How can I love somebody else like Jesus? How can I give the cross to somebody else? 
1 Corinthians 7, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Lest you think Paul is talking to someone specific, he tells you right there, he's talking to everyone. This is my rule in all the churches. Live the life God has assigned you. Did you know God has assigned you a life? Have you asked him what that life is? Have you asked him what that life is? Because that's what we're going to be doing these next several weeks. That's why I'm asking you to sign up for this lab and to do the work that it takes to hear his voice. We're going to learn how to ask him for what that assignment is. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul is, Paul is saying here, there is, a, there, there is a life that matches the calling he's given you. For Ephesians, um, no, that was Ephesians, Second uh, Thessalonians, to this end, we always pray for you. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for, for good and every work of faith by his power. Catch what he's saying here. God's the one that wants to work in you to do this. God wants to work in you to do this. He wants to demonstrate his power through you. He wants to, he has, uh, 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 he wants to give you his power. He wants to, give, to build up your faith. He wants to do this in you. 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in my presence of many witnesses. It's a fight. It takes effort. Sorry. There we go. It's intentional. It's purposeful. 2 Timothy 1.9, he who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Notice, the calling is based on grace. It's not based on me being good enough. It's not based on uh, what I bring to it. It's based on the fact that he has purpose for my life and the grace when I screw it up. When I screw it up. Catch when he gave that to us. In Jesus before the ages. This isn't something new. He thought about this from the beginning. And finally, there's a whole lot more scriptures I could have done. I just picked a few here. Second Timothy, Second Peter. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So the point is, is we can actually confirm it. We can actually spend time before God hearing his voice and discerning it and confirming it. We can do this. Here's the point. Here's the point to all of this. There is literally no such thing as a sideline Christian. If you are a Christian, if you are calling yourself a Christian, if you are declaring, I am a follower of Jesus, then you are called by God to be involved in the Great Commission. There's no other option from Scripture. So, how do we discern our calling? How do we live that out? And so, um, what we're going to do for tonight because we're just introducing this we're going to look at this like a mystery we're going to solve this mystery the same way a detective would solve a mystery okay so when a mystery is when a detective is solving on a mystery what does a detective do they look at their list of suspects okay so we're going to be the suspect 
okay and then and then they go uh, of of this and we're going to take like the 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 uh the crime the suspect committed and we're going to say that's our calling okay just just kind of have some fun with this and what we're going to do is we're going to say in order, in order to match up the suspect to the calling we're going to match up three things we're going to match up motive means and opportunity and so we're going to see do we have the motive what motive do we have for the calling that God's given us? What means do we have to accomplish it? What opportunities is God giving us? So we're going to look at it that way. Motive, means, and opportunity. So the motive is the reason the suspect committed the crime. The means are the ability the suspect had to commit the crime. So you, you may have the motive. If you don't have the means, you couldn't have done it. And opportunity is the chance the suspect to have the to commit the crime. So you may have the motive to do it, you may have the ability to do it, but you never had the opportunity, so you couldn't have been the one to done it, right? So living at our calling, we want to know all three of these things. Um, uh, uh, the 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 what is what is what is the motive, the means, and the opportunity God's given us? Call um, calling is a mystery to be solved. All right. Now, suppose we think of our calling like this mystery, and we're going to repurpose these questions. We're going to repurpose each one. Motive is what? Um, do we have the heart of God? What is our passion? What evil in the world moves us that we want to see changed? How, how are we motivated to see that change? That's motive. When we do the calling lab, there's actually tests that are going to help us to actually see these things in our own life. What drives us? What passion do we have to want to see God change? Uh, how we want to see God change the world around us? And there's there's different kinds of motives. There's motives that uh, there, sometimes there's specific things because of experiences we've had. Sometimes there, it's more general because it's like a community that we live in or family that we live in or people that we live with or around that that we want to see touched so sometimes it's going to be very specific areas sometimes it'll be much more general but we're going to we're going to test it we can look at that we can pray we can ask god to reveal that and we'll know real fast because you'll see certain subjects and all of a sudden it'll come alive and inside of you you go oh, like this so we're going to look at we're going to look at motive uh means the what abilities do we have to bring that change what are our gifts the talents our abilities our resources and then opportunities what opportunities are in front of us where have we been planted? Where has God put us? What opportunities can we create? All right, so let's let's start with looking at motive for a little while and digging down. Again, this is this is introductory tonight to try to get us hungering to want to discover these things in our lives. So here's my first question: Do you have the heart of God? Do you have the heart of God? Now, what would we mean? What do I mean when I say that? I'm going to read a story to you. This story comes out of the book, Why Revival Tarries. It's a book by Leonard Ravenhill. Highly recommend the book. Uh, get it. It's, um, uh, uh, it's an old book, but it's, it's, it applies as, as much today as it's ever applied. Um, Leonard Ravenhill, Why Revival Tarries. This is from page 39 of the book. It tells this story. It says, Charlie Peace was a criminal. The laws of God or man curbed him not. Finally, the law caught up with him, and he was condemned to death. On the fatal morning, uh, on the fa on the fatal morning in Armley Jail, Leeds, England, he was taken to the death walk. Before him, he went. Uh, before him went the prison chaplain, and he was routinely and sleepingly, sleepily reading Bible verses. The criminal touched the preacher and asked him, "What are you reading 
And he replied, the consolations of religion. Charlie Peace was shocked at the way he just professionally read about hell. He said, could a man be so unmoved under the very shadow of the scaffold as to lead a fellow human there and yet dry-eyed read of the pit that has no bottom into which this fellow must fall? This guy's going, how can you be so callous as to read this? It's like you don't even care when you know you actually believe this is where I'm going. Or claim to believe it. Could this preacher believe the words that there is, there is an eternal fire that never consumes its victims and yet slide over the phrase without a tremor? Is a man human at all who can say with no tears, you will be eternally dying and yet never know the relief that death brings? All this was too much for Charlie Peace. So Charlie preached. Now this is Charlie's sermon on his own eve of hell. Very simple, short sermon. This is what he said. He said, sir, if I believe what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it, if need be, on hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from that eternal hell. These are the last words of Peter. He wrote these words shortly before he was to leave earth. He wrote this letter. It was a love letter that Peter wrote. It was a love letter he wrote to his disciples. What I want is, I want us to hear the words, but I want us to feel and discern his heart. I want us to read this like it's a letter, not like it's cold scripture, professionally listened to. Because that's how he wrote it. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. Hear the beloved? In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Is that going on? People scoffing? They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And he says this. They deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of this By means of these, this word of God, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Hey, where is he? Why hasn't he come back? It's everything's been the same forever. Really? God judged before. You're ignoring the fact he judged before. Don't think he's not going to do it again. Deliberately ignoring it. By that same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 
But don't overlook this one fact, beloved. Do you hear him? He's not trying to write cold professional scripture. He's crying out from his heart, knowing these are some of the last words he's going to have an opportunity to tell anybody. He says, beloved, that the Lord, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient. He's long-suffering towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The heart of God is not the wrath that's coming. The heart of God is the repentance he offers through Jesus Christ. It is the love that he has demonstrated through the cross of Christ on our behalf. That's the heart of God. That's the heart he desires us to have. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in in lives of holiness and godliness? If you actually believed that's happening, how should you be living? I'll tell you how, he says, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And we studied this once before. When it talks about that, the most likely meaning of that when it talks about the heavenly bodies is that literally the destruction of evil forces. The destruction of the evil beings who have been running this earth in lawlessness. We actually can hasten that day. We have been called to hasten that day. But according to his promise... We're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. How many, how many of us long to live in a world that is run by righteousness? Well, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You have the righteousness of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. That we can bring that righteousness to this world, bring the kingdom of God to this world. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be those kingdom bringers. So, how do we apply the heart of God to the things God's wired in you to care about? So number one, do you have the heart of God? What is the heart of God? The heart of God is the fact that he loves this world. He is long-suffering toward this world. He desires that none should perish. But, But the day is coming, and he desires us to be about that work. That That as many as possible should come to the place of repentance. Now how do we take that general heart of God and apply it to us, your calling? 1 John 3.8 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. We are called to destroy the works of the devil. What evil in the world do you want to see do you passionately want to see change? What evil makes you angry? And we're going to actually take tests. We're going to look at this. We're going to explore this. And every one of us, here's the cool thing, is God's wired all of us to have different passions. How effective would we be if we all had the same passion? But suppose three or four people had this passion, other three or four people had this passion, five, six, seven, eight had this passion, and they worked as a team based on the gifts and callings they have in their lives. You don't think that make a difference? Well, I think 120 people changed the world. We're sitting here now because of them. There's a um, prominent psychologist uh, will tell us this today. This is, I'm quoting this. Um, uh, where, am I, where am I quoting this from? I have the website I'm quoting it from, but I didn't write who the author was. Sorry. But this is a quote that I have, and I have the website if anybody wants it. Prominent psychologists today will tell us this. The internal motivation that is pure, primitive, productive force which, dri- uh, uh, which drives us from, from within. What is he saying? When you can tap in to that which hits your passion, you're driven to accomplish it. When you can tap in to that thing that moves you emotionally, then you're driven to accomplish it. There's an FBI negotiator. His name is Chris Voss, and he negotiates in hostage situations. He goes into all kinds of uh, difficult situations and negotiates on behalf of the FBI. And he had a disagreement with Sam Harris. Sam Harris is a... um, uh, a public intellectual, uh, atheist, very popular, very well-known. And Harris argues that people do things based on reason. If we had proper reason, we would be acting properly. And Chris Fall said, no, uh, that's not how people act. People don't act that way. He says, you make up your mind based on what you care about, period. That makes reason emotion-based. So part of discovering your calling is what do you care about? What do you care about? Because when you care about it, you make decisions to act on it. Discovering your motive. Look, here's a, here's a, what moves you emotionally? I'm going to give you a whole list, and these will all come up in the tests we're going to take. I'm going to give you a whole list. Addictions. Athletics. Creation care, disabilities, displaced, the elderly and the sick, ethnic-specific issues, families, foster and adoption, foster care and adoption, home-based issues, international ministry, LGBT issues, military, politics, poverty, prison, professionals, sex industry, the arts, youth. I mean, I'm just hitting subjects. Somewhere in there, something hits you and you go... There's an issue in that in which the devil is doing something, and I want to see God change that. Hmm. Well, why do you think you're wired that way? Hmm. Why do you think you have that passion? I'm going to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. This is a um, this is from the uh, the book 
called Spurgeon at His Best, and this was compiled by Tom Carter. He put, he put this together. said this, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. If people are if people are headed in the destru- in the path of destruction, at least let somebody stand in their way and say there's another way. Hopefully that's you and me. So how do you get the heart of God? How do you get it? And we're going to we're going to talk about this again in the calling lab, but I'm going to throw some things out there right now. You need to spend time in His presence. You need to read His Word. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You need to do a fierce moral inventory of your own life. What does what does the enemy have a hold of in you? What fire in you needs to get put out? You need to read books like Why Revival Tarries. Read biographies of those who have gone before us, those who have actually... I love biographies. Why? Because most of the time you're going to find out that these people aren't any different than you or I. They just had a passion to do what God wanted them to do. They were normal people. They had hard lives. They had difficult things. Some of them went through things far difficult than we've ever experienced. And yet we're reading a book about their life. We watch documentaries. We played, we played a documentary here I highly recommend getting a hold of. And I've got it. We can watch it again. Anybody wants to watch it is uh, The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. This is just a couple. This guy, the guy told you, he says, me and my wife were both PKs. I was a pagan kid. She was a preacher's kid. He grew up a pagan kid. You know, he's a fully a man. I was a pagan kid. He said, I went to Bible school before I had even read through the whole Bible. And God took him around the world, and, and he ended up in this ministry where everything failed. And then God took him around the world and saw the power of love in the cross. Get, read newsletters. Get the Jesus Project newsletter. Take a part, take, do a short-term missions trip. There's all kinds of things to get the heart of God. My point is this, is it's not going to happen unless we intentionally and purposely spend time doing it. It doesn't happen because, oh, I, I wished it to happen. All right, number two. Means. So motive. You want to discern your call? What's your motive? Do you have God's heart? God's heart generally, God's heart specifically. And we're in the, when we get into the calling, we'll develop that out some more. Number two, means. So, uh, this is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Um, That word, might, is the word maod. And what it means is it doesn't mean like all my strength. You're like, I'm going to love God with my might. That way. It literally means 
with all of your earthly possessions. You know, picture in the ancient world, someone's might was everything they had amassed and accomplished and done. That was their might. So it's the sum total of everything that you have. Love God. All your heart, all your soul, all your passion, your mind, your will, your emotions, and everything that you have. All right, now there's two types of means that God gives to us. He gives us two types of means. He gives us spiritual means, and he gives us natural means. And by spiritual, we mean what? These are things that are literally given by the Spirit. We just spent weeks studying this, right? Some of these gifts are temporary. Some They're, they're one-offs, and we may have them over and over again, but they're, they're not something we have all the time. Some of these gifts are permanent, and, and God get, grants us this, this gift spiritually, something supernaturally. Now, here's the scripture. We read these. We spent weeks reading these verses. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And they, are, they are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The whole, God is not asking you for your ability. He's asking you for your availability. He wants to empower you. He's telling you right there. It is the Spirit. It is the Lord. It is God who wants to empower you. He says this. He's given these, why? These manifestations of the Spirit. For the common good. He doesn't give them to him for us. He gives them to him for us to to manifest his goodness to others. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Oh, there we go. Uh, To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. Here it is. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to a few here and there. No. To each one individually as he wills. The question isn't whether or not God has chosen you to be empowered by the Spirit. The question is whether or not we're asking for the Holy Spirit to empower us. So, there are spiritual giftings. Um, here's, uh, here, here it is in Romans. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Notice we don't earn it. It's grace. It's his unmerited favor. It's how much he loves us. How much he loves those around you and wants to use you. Uh, grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. And the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit will equip you for his calling. It's not whether or not he will. The question is whether or not we're asking. Spiritual power comes from one source and one source only. Prayer in the Spirit. Spiritual power must be prayed for, waited for, expected, exercised, anticipated, and acted upon. Do you want spiritual power? Very simple. Are you praying for it? Are you waiting for it? Are you expecting it? Are you exercising it? Are you anticipating it? Are you acting upon it? Remember how, do you remember when we, when we finished up that, um, uh, the, the spiritual lists? 
And he said, rather than, you know, the, the, um, rather than sitting and just kind of waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something, if we get out and actually start loving people and serving people and doing things and ask the Holy Spirit to help us, guess what happens? I'm going to tell you, in our family, we have story after story after story when we're doing the mundane and the Holy Spirit shows up. Pray, pray for this person. Pray for that person. Do this. for, th- And things happen. All right. So one is spiritual. The second thing we have is natural. God has given you gifts, talents, abilities, your personality, um, your training, things you're trained to do, resources that you have. Um, uh, so here's the thing. Did I, have, did I write it down? Let me see if I put a slide up there for it. No, I didn't. Here's the thing about it. And we're going to do this. We're going to do this. But this, you, can, you can start doing this ahead of time. Make an actual assessment of these. Write them down. Write down these things. Take tests. We're going to take tests to discern your personality type, to discern how God's wired you. Use, uh, now, here's the thing. You, when you discover what those natural things are, you can use those natural gifts to discover the spiritual. You re- you'll remember this quote. We've done this quote before. I'm going to read it again. This was Sam Storms. The next time you're in church, remember this? Or you're in a small group, or you're just hanging out with other believers, pause momentarily and ask, is someone here physically hurt or suffering from chronic pain? If so, take your hands out of your pockets, lay them on your brother and sister, and pray for God's healing. How do you know that God might not use you for healing in that moment? Is anyone you know... Anyone you know distraught or discouraged? Or someone finding life too frustrating to bear? If so, take them out for a cup of coffee. Listen to their story. You don't have to theologize about their predicament. They're not looking for explanations. They just want someone who cares enough to spend a few minutes with them. Just listen to them and love them. Is anyone struggling financially uh, uh, with a few prospects to get them out of the hole? Do something courageous. Give them your last 50 bucks and trust God to supply your need. Do you know people who are confused about some verse of Scripture that just read in their devotional time? Perhaps you're just as befuddled as they are. Pull out a commentary or a concordance, a study Bible, perhaps a commentary from the church library and study a bit. Then sit down with your friend or friends, put your heads and hearts together and pray for the Holy Spirit to give you light on what you're thinking about. Is anyone struggling with sin? Of course they are. Offer to pray for them. But before you do, sit quietly together and ask the Lord to guide your thoughts and to speak words of wisdom to your soul. If you sense something or a thought comes to mind, share it with them. It might be the key that opens the door to their hearts and brings freedom from bondage. Does the person you just prayed for report hearing voices in his or her head? Does this person struggle with paralyzing shame, virtually bombarded on a daily basis by accusing thoughts and self-contempt? If so, speak the word of God over him or her with authority. And in the name of Jesus, command any demonic spirits to leave and never return. Pray for this person to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Do you know anybody overwhelmed by the clutter in their garage and that ever-increasing mountain of dirty laundry? 
Offer to spend Saturday with them, helping out, picking up, washing, drying, folding, putting away clothes. You notice every single, there's nothing, every single one of these are natural giftings, talents, and abilities that anybody could do. None of this sounds especially spectacular. Well, maybe some of it does. So what am I getting at with these questions? It's this simply. If we spend less time searching to identify our spiritual gifts and more time actually praying and giving and helping and teaching and serving and exhorting those around us, the likelihood greatly increases that we'll walk headlong right into our gifting and we don't even know what will happen. How did that happen? God will more likely meet us with his gifts in the midst of trying to help his children than he ever would while we're taking a spiritual gifts analysis test. That doesn't mean you don't take the test. Of course you do. It just means that I, I don't take a test and sit here and go, God, did you have me given this? What, you know what gift you have? So look for a need, meet it. Find a hurt, heal it. Be alert to the cry of help and answer it. Where did we start? Get the heart of God. That's where we started. Listen for the voice of God. Speak it. Identify someone's weakness. Overcome it. Look for what's missing. Supply it. When you do the power of God, the energizing, enabling, charismatic activity of the Holy Spirit will equip you. Perhaps only once, but possibly forever, to minister hope and encouragement to those in need. So if you're still wondering what your gifts might be, act first and ask later. It reminds me, you know, shoot first and ask questions afterwards. <laughs> yeah, is that ready, shoot, aim. There you go. That's good. That's it. All right. Sorry. All right. So here's the point. When we begin to act in the natural, God will empower with the supernatural. When we begin to act in the natural, God will give us what we need in the spiritual you know, of course we're doing it listening. Of course we're tr- doing it in obedience, and, and we're learning these. And guess what? First time we, you, we, you'll learn from doing. I don't know how many times I've been in a circumstance or situation, and something come up, and I didn't have an answer. But guess what happened? What I did after that? I went and looked up the answer. And then the next time, guess what? God brought another situation along, and again and again and again and again. And every one of those times, I had the answer. You see? All right, that takes us to the next, the last one. So this one we're going to finish with tonight. And again, tonight is to wet our whistle. Tonight is to make us hungry. Tonight is is for us to say, I want to to spend the time I'm going to need to spend in discerning my calling. What's the opportunity? What opportunities are in front of us? So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7 says this, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So every one of us has an opportunity. Every one of us. There's none of us here that doesn't have an opportunity. God's assigned to us an opportunity. Questions are, what is that opportunity? Well, I'm going to suggest to you there's two types of opportunities, general experiences. Uh, Opportunity number one, where has God placed you? Where has he placed you? What, what family, what friends, what neighbors, what organizations, what activities, your workplace, all these things. Where has he put you? There's opportunities right there, and you may not even know it. Um, uh, I, I've shared this story several times before, but I'm, it's not going to stop me. I'm going to do it again, and I'll share it another time after this as well. 
Um, I was working at a lumberyard, and I meet this. There's a new employee that comes to the lumberyard, and uh, I, after conversation with this guy, come to find out we had a common friend. And so I went to our common friend uh, who was a believer, and I said to her, I said, hey, I, I met so-and-so. Uh, I, I, you know, he started, to, he started, he just came to start working for us. And she goes, oh, my goodness, you're working with him? I said, yeah. She goes, I have been praying for God to put someone into his life that can, that can speak to him. And I went, I'm the answer to somebody's prayer? I never thought I would. I never considered that. I did not see that I had an opportunity in front of me, that God had orchestrated this circumstance. My eyes were closed to that. It wasn't until she said that that I just kind of took a big gulp and go, okay, what do I do now? Hmm. Number two, so opportunities where God's placed you. Number two, life experiences. Life experiences. What difficulties are you going through or have you experienced, either personally or with a loved one? Do I have this verse down here? No, I don't. Um, here's a verse, John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus puts it this way. Look, I tell you, lift your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. It's not the fact that there's a lack of opportunities around us. It's the fact that we've closed our eyes to what are the opportunities got, got in front of us. There are, I'm going to come back to this one for a second here. Uh, um, we all have unique life experiences. And those life experiences enable us to empathize and have compassion for others who have gone through or maybe are going through those similar things. And they become opportunities. It doesn't mean you're the expert on that. It means you understand what it feels like to go through that so you can bring somebody a level of comfort. You can pray for them. You can want to see that changed in their lives or encouraged. All right, so what are some objections? Um, these are some of the objections, right? Well, I'm not an evangelist. I was um, flying home from uh, California. Uh, from a, We went to a seminar um, uh, in uh, it was a church out there that was teaching um, just about church ministry and this type of thing. And we're flying home from it, and I was on one side of the airplane, and uh, Lee Short... Um, was on the other side of the airplane sitting in the middle seat and I turned to the guy next to me and um, and we started up a conversation and I tried to share a couple of things about the Lord I said one or two things he immediately changed the conversation and so we just talked about life stuff in general and, and that was fine when we landed Lee turned to me and goes hey I want you to meet a new believer <laughs> he's an evangelist man he is but it didn't mean I didn't have a heart. I, I, you know, I, I planted a seed. I watered a seed. I don't know. But here's, you may not be an evangelist, but can you pray? Can you invite? Can you act in love and kindness? Can you get some training? Can you learn how to share your testimony? Can you learn the basics of the gospel? Can you learn to, to get training in prayer? All right. I'm not good with words. Here's another objection. Well, you know, I'm, I, you know, I hear this. I'm, like, I'm not like you. I'm not good with words, right? 
So uh, this is another story uh, I've used a bunch of times. We were planning a church in Bel Air, Maryland, and brand new, and we're trying to tell the neighborhood that we're here. And um, and so we're going out by twos, right? We're being real biblical. Jesus sends them by twos. So we're going out by twos to knock on doors and just hand out flyers to say, hey, we're in a new church. Here's our flyer. And if you've got a prayer need, we're willing to pray with you. And I get paired up with this guy who I was in small group with. And this guy was always telling a story about, hey, I got a chance to share the gospel with this guy. Hey, I got a chance. He always had a story. He was telling, telling about where he was sharing the gospel with somebody. I was going, I'm glad I'm paired with him, man. This is fantastic. I'm going with somebody who's good with words, who knows how to do this. We, go, we literally go up to the very first house. We're about to knock on the door. And he leans over to me and goes, hey, man, I'm not real good with words. You do the talking. <laughs> I'm like, what? We're knocking on the door and you're going to put that on me now? <laughs> Nobody is until you learn how to do it. But regardless, are you good with kindness? People don't care about your words until, you, until they know you care. Are you good with caring? Can you listen? Are you good to listening? How about my calling? Well, it's not my calling. I'm glad you're doing that. That's not my calling. Well, if the Great Commission isn't your calling, then what is your calling? Because there is only one Great Commission. There's only one. We're all called. We just looked at all the scriptures. There's only one Great Commission. So if it's not your calling, what is your calling? The question is, is how has God wired you and what are those things? And what we're going to do is we go through the lab. We're going to, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to triangulate, triangulate our calling. We're going to look at three things that are outer, three things that are inner. We're going to look at these things like means, motives, opportunities, gifts, talents, abilities, and, uh, and we're going to overlap them. We're going to look at how, uh, how do we hear and listen to and pray and discern God's voice and, and seek his voice? That's what's coming up. That's what we're going to be doing the uh, next four or five weeks. But what it's going to take in order to do this is it's not going to do any good if I just stand here and teach about it. It's going to take going to the website, signing up, taking the tests, taking a look at it, spending time in prayer, and then coming together, and then we talk about it, and we share it, and we probe it. Um, and we help each other out. Um, and I can promise you, you take it seriously, God's going to speak. You're going to have eyes re- opened up. You're going to see things that you hadn't saw, seen before. There will be things that will be revealed to you. Um, and, uh, and we'll be able to help one another out. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray as we spend these next several weeks seeking to discern what it is that you've called us to. I pray that we would be an encouragement to one another. Your word says that we should stir one another up to love and good works. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to stir one another up. And uh, help us to have your heart. Help us to do that examination of our heart hunger for you. Let's just to make up our minds that we're going to take the steps to walk forward, 
Not because we're perfect, not because we deserve it, but because you're that good and you're calling us and you desire it. And you'll get us through it. Pray that you would give us a hunger and a passion for these things in a way we've never had before. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, we'll turn off and then we can ask questions. If you're listening in.